right, good morning, everybody. So next week will be a real treat. Those of you who are new here, I'm uh, Chris Dirksen, and I'm the main teaching pastor here at Southland. And if you're visiting again for baptisms, that'll be coming up afterwards, and we're so glad you're here. Uh, we're right in the middle of a series right now on the uh, seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation uh, 1, 2, and 3. And uh, th- last week we did the, you know, we started the church at Thyatira. Normally I've been doing one letter per week, but my excuse this time is the, the letter to Thyatira really is by far the longest letter. So we're going to have to do part two on that one to finish the letter we didn't finish last week. And, uh, and so let's just begin reading and we'll just dive right into it, all right? Just such relevant passages for the church today, Jesus' words uh, to the local churches. And uh, chapter 2, verse 18, we read this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. That's how far we got last week, and now we'll just carry on. Verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate, so here's Jesus now, we got the, the stuff he was happy about last week, and now we get to the part where he says, I, I am upset with some things at the church of Thyatira. He's angry. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Let's pray, and then we'll look at the letter to Thyatira. Jesus, you are Lord of the universe. You are Lord of this church. We want to make you Lord of our lives. I pray that you would speak to us here today. Help us to get a vision of who you are, to fall in love with you, to worship you, and to grow to be in awe of you in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now we're going to spend a bunch of time in the, in the second half of this message on, on Jezebel and why Jesus was so upset with her. But I want to just talk a little bit about that word tolerate, tolerate for a little bit. Because tolerance has become this huge, you know, uh, you know word for our culture. Huge word. I think you know, if, 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 you know, years from now, if historians are looking back on this day and age and they were looking through, you know, some of the newspapers and the books and stuff, one of the things they would write about our culture today is they would write about this thing, tolerance. Everybody's talking about tolerance. That's like the big thing these days, right? The media is forever talking about tolerance. And the, in the education system, they're always talking about tolerance. The government's talking about tolerance. And, and of course, you know, tolerance, there's lots of good in tolerance. Tolerance is a good thing and very good aspects to it. But I always, one of the things I find ironic about the whole thing is that the more and more our culture talks about tolerance, it seems the less and less and less they tolerate Christian beliefs and, and the Bible and that sort of thing. But, um, but I don't even, and I don't even want to go down that rabbit trail of the, of the culture and stuff. I just want to talk more about the churches today because a lot of churches today have kind of caught on to this tolerance thing that's out there. And so a lot of churches today are talking, you know, tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. We've got this picture of Jesus that he was very, he just tolerated everything and, and anyone. And, and so uh, tolerance. And yet I, it's interesting to me here in, 
in the letter to the church of Thyatira, Jesus is upset at the church in Thyatira because they are tolerating some things he wouldn't tolerate. In other words, they were more tolerant than Jesus, and he was furious about it. We're going to look at, at some of the things he talks to them about after about that. But before we uh, even go there, I want to I just park on that word tolerance for just a bit. Because like I said before, there, I mean, tolerance can be a good thing. I mean, tolerance can be a very good thing, and, it, and it's, it's a good value to have in certain areas. We need to definitely be tolerant. All right? But at the same time, clearly, Jesus says here in this letter, there's a time to not be tolerant, and there's a time when toleration can be bad. So the question is, very practically speaking, and I want to just sit here for a little bit at the first part of this message, is I want to ask the question practically in our daily lives, in our families, and in, the, and in church life, and in our workplaces, how do we know when tolerance is good and when tolerance is bad? How do we know when to tolerate and when not to tolerate. Not simply as kind of a theory. It's one thing to talk about, you know, holiness and compassion and all those sorts of things in theory. But I want to get very practical. How do we discern as Christians? What is good tolerance? What is bad tolerance? When do I tolerate? When do I not tolerate? All right? And so in order to do that, I want to do a a quick little comparison. And I need to show you the two extremes of how churches can be on the spectrum of tolerance, from too little to too much, okay? And both of these extremes we actually see in these letters to the seven churches in Revelation. The one is Thyatira, what we're looking at right now. The other extreme on the tolerance spectrum, um, uh, the opposite of Thyatira, is the church at Ephesus, which we looked at a month ago. And I want to just do a quick comparison, because I I need you, uh, until we can get into the practical of how do we know when tolerance is good and when is bad, we need to see these two churches that are on, on, the, on the opposite ends and just see that, all right? And so Thyatira, the one we're looking at today, is on one end of the spectrum. If we go back to verse 19, Jesus says this to them, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. We saw this last week. So Thyatira was a very loving church, and Jesus commends them for it. He says, and that your latter works exceed the first. And as we talked about last week, they were growing in love. Okay, so this was a love church. This was one of those churches that was real big on love and grace. And Jesus says, I love that about you, right? Okay, but now as we're going to look at in the rest of this message, we see that, but on the other hand, they were tolerating their, their love and the, the love and the grace and the compassion. That was really good, Jesus says. But on the other hand, um, you have not balanced that. And now there's in the church, there's compromise on the holiness issue. And Jesus is furious with them. Okay? And so we have Thyatira, lots of love, that's good. Bad, they've gone too far on the tolerance thing. They're now compromising with regards to holiness in the church. Jesus says, that's really bad. Now, I want to contrast that. Ephesus, which we looked at a month ago. Ephesus was the exact opposite, okay? Ephesus was, if you'll remember, and I'm going to put a verse up there in just a moment. But Ephesus, if you'll remember, was really good at, they were high on doctrine and truth and integrity, and purity. They were really good at rejecting false doctrine, really good at rejecting sinful, licentious behavior. That was out, but Jesus rebukes them for the opposite thing as Thyatira. What's going to be a long message? opposite thing is Thyatira. He says that they had lost their love. If we look at this here very quickly, just a reminder. He says this to Ephesus, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. So you you can't stand, you know, the false teaching and, and, and wickedness, okay? You, can, you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, 
and have found them to be false, and you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And as we talked about a month ago, the Nicolaitans were these cheap grace people. They thought, you know, grace just covers everything, compromise immorality in your life. That's not a big deal. And so Jesus commends them. You hate that. Okay, you hate that. So that was good. The Ephesians were, were good on purity, holiness, truth. But then, he, then Jesus goes on. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So here's the, oh. <laughs> wow. If I look back, if I pray for it. Okay, no. Um, so you can't see the chart. You just imagine it. It's all in yellow there, nicely put together. Um, <laughs> Ephesus, Thyatira, opposite ends. One is high on love, compromised on holiness, just upset. The other one, there we go, emphasizing truth and holiness, but they had lost their love. And Jesus says, I'm going to leave. The one Jesus is furious about, we're going to see that. He uses some very furious, wrathful language with Thyatira, which we're going to cover in just a bit. And with, and with Ephesus, he says, you're going to lose your lampstand. I'm going to leave your presence. And so here we see these two ditches. There's these two ditches that Jesus is showing us. Jesus does not want us to be like either of these churches. You know, sometimes people read these letters, and it's like, and, and depending on their personality, they sort of gravitate to one, and they're like, well, I kind of like the Ephesus church. Jesus doesn't want us to be like the Ephesus church. He says, good for you that you emphasize holiness and purity and truth, but you've lost your love. You have no softness of heart to Jesus. Like, these were not people who would tear up very easily when talking about their walk with the Lord. They weren't filled with compassion for people. Jesus says, I'm actually going to leave them. My spirit will not even be in their presence. They're just, they, they can keep meeting as a church if they want to, have a sign, be a Bible-teaching church, and teach the Bible all the time. I won't be anywhere near that place. He doesn't want us to be like Ephesus. They're about to lose their, their lampstand. And on the other side, you've got all these churches these days. It's all about love and tolerance, blah, blah. And then you have this compromise on the holiness. And Jesus says, and I'm furious with them. This is not a case of like, oh, hey, these are some nice churches. They got a little, couple little problems here, but you say, oh, whatever. If they work on that a little bit, they'll be fine. These are both churches that are actually in danger. These are ditches Jesus does not want us to fall into. He doesn't want us to fall into the ditch of it's all about love and tolerance, but there's compromise and holiness. And he also doesn't want us to fall into this ditch of it's all about truth and doctrine and holiness, but there's no love. Jesus is actually calling us to walk a higher, better, much harder road. He's calling us to walk a road where there is a zeal for holiness and a white-hot love for him and for people, all married in the same place. See, both, see the thing is, the thing, this is the amazing thing about Jesus, and the more, you, the more you get to know him and the more he reveals himself to you, the more you're going to see this. In Jesus, white-hot holiness, purity, righteousness, and white-hot love and compassion are married in the same person. He's not one or the other. And here's the thing you have to understand. This is so important. Holiness, just, and I don't mean a little bit of holiness. I mean, literally, when I say white hot, I'm not exaggerating. White hot holiness, and yet passionate love and compassion in Jesus are married in the same person. Those two characteristics become one in Jesus. This is very important to understand because Unless you actually walk with Jesus, you'll never be able to, to marry those two, two characteristics in your life. And we'll never, unless we have a whole bunch of people here at Southland 
walking, the, walking closely with Jesus, we will never marry those two characteristics here either. See, because here's what a lot of Christians do. It's only Jesus brings those things together. So unless you're with Jesus and abiding with Jesus, you can't bring those two things together. What's happening today in the Christian church, and this is so sad, what's happening today in the church in so many places is many Christians don't actually have a walk with the Lord. We have a vocabulary of talking about having a relationship with the Lord. Evangelicals today, we're always talking about it's all about a relationship with Jesus, but so many don't actually have a relationship with him. We have this, we have this vocabulary, but we don't have actually experience of walking with him. And what happens is if you don't actually walk with Jesus, based on your personality, based on your experiences, your growing up, various things, you will be attracted to one of Jesus' traits, but you won't be able to hold them both together. And so what happens is if you just have a bunch of Christian beliefs in your head and not an actual walk with Jesus, you will gravitate to one of these two extremes based on your personality, based on your experience. And we see this happening all over the Christian world today. Lots of churches today, no actual walk with Jesus. They have some beliefs about Jesus, a bunch of Christian beliefs. They've gone to church all their life, but because they're not actually walking with him, they emphasize for various reasons of the culture, their experience, you know, their personality, they fall into the Thyatira ditch, and they're all about its love, tolerance, 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 tolerance. They've, they've created this new picture of Jesus, and it's all about tolerance, and there's no emphasis on holiness. In fact, many of these churches, a shocking number of them, are now actually teaching that, that things the Bible calls sin aren't even sin. But it's all about love. If it's, if it's with love, if it's done with love, it's okay. And they've gone into this ditch. It's because they're not walking with Jesus. They've fallen in love with one of his characteristics, but they can't hold them together because they're not with him. And then there's other churches uh, opposite. They just go into the Ephesus ditch. And they're just all about truth. Oh, I just need teaching. I just need the Bible. I just need doctrine. Oh, we're all about the teaching and knowledge and learning. And it's all about truth, 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 and hanging on to the truth and doctrine and theology. And that is not a bad thing, but because they're not actually walking with Jesus. We need theology. We need doctrine. We need love. We need tolerance. But we need these things in Jesus, walking with him, where they get married together. Does that make sense? And so you've got these churches where they just teach the Bible to their blue in the face, but you can see the spiritual cobwebs in the place. There's no life there. There's no actual spirit softness or life or radical generosity or, or compassion or any of those sorts of things. It's just truth, and it's one or the other. And Jesus is not calling us to either of these. Both of these churches are a warning to us. Don't be this, and don't be this. We have to walk with Jesus in a powerful, close, and intimate way. And then what we get is this place where holiness, the white-hot holiness, and passionate love and compassion for people come together in the same place. Jesus is both, and we need to be both, okay? So that's, first of all, important to understand that as a background as we talk about when to tolerate, when not to tolerate, when is tolerance good, when is tolerance not good. But we still haven't practically answered the question of how do we know in daily life? What does this look like in church life, in work life, in family life? How do I know when to tolerate? How do I know when not to tolerate? And there's two key points we're going to look at how to know when tolerance is good and how to know when tolerance is bad. And the first one is a, is a review. It's really foundational. We talked about it three weeks ago, but I'm going to put it up there again because if you don't understand this, you'll never, I, just, I just want to really get it into our hearts and our minds. If you don't get this, you won't understand when to tolerate and when not to tolerate. And, and so the first thing you have to understand is that we need to differentiate between the different kinds of sinners in God's eyes. 
See, this, and this is so, so key. So many questions that you have about the Bible are answered in this. For example, lots of people ask the question about David and Saul in the Old Testament. Do you ever wonder about David and Saul? God gets mad at Saul. What did Saul do? You remember with him and Samuel? Saul sacrifices it. He waits for a week for Samuel to come. Those of you who know this at all, you can, you can look it up this, this, this next week. Um, but uh, Samuel says, wait for me to do the sacrifice. Saul waits a week. Samuel doesn't come. Finally, he's desperate. He offers the sacrifice himself. A couple hours later, the prophet Samuel comes. And what does God say to Saul? And, you, and you're thinking, that doesn't actually sound like that bad of a deal, does it? Yet God says to Saul, as a result of this act of disobedience, I'm ripping the kingdom away from you. And from that moment on, Saul just goes on this path of darkness and God takes the kingdom away from him. Yet then we get to King David. We look at King David. This man commits adultery, then kills the woman's husband. And at the end of it, yes, there's a lot of discipline. He suffers really huge for that. But at the end of it, God says through the prophet Nathan, I forgive you, and the kingdom stays in David's family. And a lot of people ask me the question, that's not fair. How can God do that? And the reason God, so we look at the actions and we say, this isn't fair. Why would God react this way to Saul for that, which seems a lot smaller to us than how God responds to David, who's over here, who does something that looks a lot worse to us. How can God do this? This isn't fair. What we don't understand is that it's not the sin, it's the heart God looks at. And you can have a few people all do the exact same sin, and God's response to each of them is totally different because of the heart. He sees the heart. And you can have one person, they do both the same thing, and one person, God is mad, and there's judgment, and this person is, is, and then over here, you have mercy and grace, and God has a big smile on his face, and he's reaching out to them, all because of the heart, hugely throughout the heart. And so, three weeks ago, I showed you, and I've just put these into sort of titles. It's not like these are the only three, but it's sort of, these are kind of, when you go through scripture, there's kind of three basic types of sinners, and God's response to each of them is different. Again, it's based on the heart, not on the action, okay? And so I just want to make sure you get this, because you won't get the tolerance thing. You'll never understand how to discipleship, or how to disciple people properly. You'll never understand when to tolerate and when not to tolerate, unless you get this point of God's heart towards the sinner, okay? And so the first, and so we looked at these, and I showed you scriptures, so I'm not going to, I'm just, we're just quickly reviewing here, but one kind of sinner is the keep-it-hidden sinner. This is the person that because of whatever, they're, they're ashamed, they're too proud to deal with it, whatever it is, they don't want people to know. They rather, if they, they keep their sins hidden and they don't deal with their sin. Okay, they don't deal with their sin. Now God is patient, he's patient, but if you just want to hide sin and you think it's better if I just hide it, there's many passages I could show you in the gospel where Jesus says, I'm going to bring this, what you are doing in secret, I'm going to bring out on the rooftops and shout for everybody to hear. And we looked at Ananias and Sapphira last week in Acts chapter 5 where God judged them. At a certain point, the keep it hidden sinner is a person that I'm not dealing with my sin. They don't, and really what they're doing is they're taking for granted Jesus' death on the cross. I'm not going to deal with my sin. I'm not going to confess it. I'm not going to go to war with it, praying and fasting, getting help. I'm just going to keep it here. And for that person, there's patience, but eventually there's anger leading to judgment. God's heart towards them, that is not grace. People always have this idea that there's grace, grace, grace. Grace is clearly through scripture, I showed you this three weeks ago, grace is for repentant sinners. Not just for sinners, it's for repentant sinners. You can't find anything in scripture that talks about people living in indifference and apathy to sin where God says there's grace for that. There is grace for the repentant. For the repentant, there is 
limitless grace. The second kind of sinner is the indifferent and or rebellious sinner. This is the person who, again, they're, they're thinking, New Testament God is totally different than Old Testament God. New Testament God doesn't care about sin. Thanks to Jesus for the cross, it doesn't matter that we sin anymore. And they're comfortable in their sin. They're comfortable in their sin. A great verse here, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1, Paul says this. How we should feel about sin as Christians under the new covenant. Here's what he says. Since we have these promises, since Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and since we have grace, and since we have forgiveness, look what he says. Does he say, hey, sin doesn't matter so much anymore? That's not what he says. Since we have these promises, this new covenant, grace and forgiveness, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every, that's a big word, isn't it? Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness. This is, this is a New Testament passage. This is not the Old Testament. Bringing holiness to completion in what? The fear of God. In response to the new covenant, Jesus' death on the cross, we don't treat our sins as, well, thankfully Jesus covered that. I don't have to worry about it. I can keep it hidden. No, in response to the cross, we say, how can I live with this anymore, this bondage? And we go, we confess, and we get help, and we go to war with our sin, cleansing ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's the proper attitude towards sin, okay? Which brings us then up to the, to the, to the uh, third category, of sinner. And this is the category we should all be in because none of us is perfect. None of us here is perfect. Okay? I mean, I'm not even me. Okay, not even me. Okay, this last week, I, I you know, some weeks I, I don't mess up at all, but you know, even this last week I made some mistakes. I'm just joking for those of you who are new, okay? We sh- this is all of us. We're all in there, not perfect. Some of us, and some d- deal with big, you know, huge habitual sins and bondage, and there's stuff from our past and woundedness. But if your heart is, Jesus, I'm, I, I can't stand that I do this all the time. I can't stand that I'm in bondage. And you've got accountability, and you've got people praying for you, and you're praying and fasting, and you're going to war with this thing, and you're seeking Jesus, and you're pursuing him, and you don't give up, but you pursue him. You're a struggling and weak but repentant sinner. To you, you can do the exact same things that God was mad at somebody else for. He was mad at Saul, but David, he forgives in grace and mercy. You can do those exact same things, but you're pursuing Jesus. You, you don't take your, the cross for granted. You don't take your sins lightly, but you pursue him and you don't give up. To, to you, to the struggling and weak but repentant sinner, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's grace and love and mercy and God picks you up, and he, and he loves you. It's all about the heart. It's not the behavior so much as it's the heart. Are you seeking God? Are you, are you desiring holiness? And all sorts of stuff. Uh, I want to share a, a quick illustration. We've shared this one many times before. The problem is sometimes in some of these areas, the other stories that we know, we, we just can't share them from stage. So sometimes you get a story and you latch onto it. But one that we've shared many times before, just to kind of illustrate this point, my brother Stefan is a pastor of Four Winds Ministry here. And when he was, you know, gave his life to the Lord, and God just began to make, you know, radical changes in his life. And, and he had all these movies, hundreds and hundreds of movies, that, and, and, and bad, a lot of them were really bad, occultic stuff, sexual stuff, really bad. So he gives his life to the Lord, and before anyone even has to t- talk to him about his movies, the Holy Spirit just convicts him and gets a hold of him. And so he, he goes through his movies, and he's like, oh, 
I'm walking with Jesus now. I can't stand a lot of this stuff. And so he gets rid of a whole bunch of movies, just really bad stuff. He gets rid of them, and nobody even had to tell him to do that because he was walking with the Lord. The Lord just convicted him, and he did it. He got rid of a bunch. He told us. We were all pumped. Short time later, my mom is over at his house, and she happens, she goes over to the shelf, and she's looking through his movies. She's horrified. Wow, there's a lot of trash still here. I mean, this is, this is utter filth. This is garbage. And, and she, she's about to say something because look at this new believer. This is, I got to tell him, this is, you got to get rid of way, way, way more. Like most of them, almost all of them. And before she can open her, her mouth, the Holy Spirit just says to her, keep your mouth shut. I'm working with him. Okay, now keep that in mind, right? Keep your mouth shut. I'm working with him. Now, can you imagine if at the same time this is going on, mom comes to my place, and I have the same movies on my shelf that he has, okay? Now, do you think the Lord would have told her, just be quiet, I'm working? No. Same sin. Isn't he a fair God? I mean, if he's allowed to have these movies, I should be allowed. I mean, if I just have the exact same ones that he, as he has, and God's not mad at him, God's working with this guy, he's got joy in his life, the Lord's speaking to him, the Lord's with him. If God's working in his life when he has these movies on his shelf, why can't God work in my heart when I have these movies on my shelf? I'll tell you why. Because in my life, those movies would not, if those had been on my shelf at that time, those movies would not have represented a repentant sinner going after Jesus. They would, have repent, they, would have, uh, they would have symbolized or represented, they would have shown that my heart was indifferent to God's holiness. And I was not walking closely to him. And so the Holy Spirit would not have told her to keep her mouth quiet. If she had seen those at my house, I don't doubt the Lord would have told her, get out the bat. <laughs> He's too old for the hand, now you've got to do something. Totally different, Right? But for the repentant sinner, you know what the repentant sinner is like? And God said, the one who's pursuing him, same sin, different heart, totally different response by God. It's like, you know, my kids, I got four kids now, three of them know how to walk, one of them doesn't. And the reason he doesn't, he's not behind or anything, he's just six months old, okay? So I got another one coming in a few months to learn this. But, you know, every time they learn how to walk, I love that stage. It's so fun, right? And those of you who are parents, you know, you, you, they, they're by the, 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 the coffee table, and now you're, you're enticing them. Come on, come on, take a sip. Come on, come on. Candy, whatever it'll take, right? Very unhealthy stuff, but just please, please try. Then they try. Oh, you're so pumped. They fall. Woo! You're cheering for them when they fall, right? And you pick them up. It's not like, you know, your kid falls and learning to walk, and it's like, that's the 10th time you've done that today. <laughs> no, they can do it 100 times as long as they try. As long as they try, and it's like, Dad, they could try, and I will never get tired of picking them up. That's God's heart to the sinner who's pursuing Jesus, who doesn't take their sins lightly, who's, who's going to war with their sins and praying and getting help and accountability and confessing, and they don't give up, and they don't give tired, and, and they just keep going after Jesus. That person, God can pick you up a hundred times, a thousand times, and it's, it's the same expression. There might be loving discipline to help you grow, there's no question, but there's a smile on his face to you, and he has limitless grace for you. But for another Christian, they do the same thing, and it's actually, they are in danger. It's anger leading to judgment. And if you don't understand this, this difference in the heart and how God sees heart, you'll never get how to disciple people. You'll never get when tolerance is good and when tolerance is bad. 
And suddenly you, the gospels start to make way more sense. You know, Jesus reaches out to the adulteress and says, I don't condemn you either in John chapter 8. He did, and then he says, go and sin no more. But do you think he would have tolerated adultery among his disciples? Not a chance. See, it's different heart. And we have to see that. We have to be wise about that. It's so important, hugely important. All right, now there's a second part to this, though. How do we know when, toler- when to tolerate, when not to tolerate? When tolerance is good, when tolerance is bad. And the second part is this. We have to differentiate, and it's going to sound so obvious when I say it. And the moment I say it, it's going to make sense. And yet, so often in Christian churches today, we totally glaze over this and we miss it. The second part to tolerance is we have to differentiate between people who are in the church and people who are in the world. And this is, like I said, as soon as I say it, you go, oh, duh, that makes so much sense. The fact of the matter is, many churches are not making this distinction today. And then they go into one of the ditches. So you get your love and tolerance churches, your Thyatira churches, and they're all, it's all love, tolerance, love, tolerance. And they'll show you 100 verses in the Bible about love and tolerance. And they'll show you Jesus reaching out to this person and Jesus reaching out to this person, Jesus not condemning this person. And you go, well, amen, yes, that's all there. But now I want to show you some other verses where Jesus demands holiness over here, where he rebukes over here, where he even kills over here. And I'll show you that a little bit later in this message. But you have to see both. And so, but they'll take, these churches will take these people over here and they'll say, see, we just need to tolerate and love everyone. And they apply it inside and outside the church. And then you have other churches. They take the the passages where there's judgment and stuff. And then they go out of the church and they just preach to the world. Judgment. And you're going to hell and all these sorts of things. And they don't differentiate between those in the world and those in the church. And the Bible very clearly shows us that Jesus differentiates our approach is different in both cases. And what we tolerate with one is not necessarily what we tolerate with the other. Does that make sense? And I'm going to show you now a verse. I want to show you a passage. 13 verses, 1 Corinthians 5. There's a whole bunch I could show you. But I'm going to show you Paul talks about this point extensively. And he really explains it well. I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And you're going to see Paul differentiate between the two groups. How you treat one group and what you tolerate in one group is not the same. You don't apply what you do over there to what you do over here. And you don't at- apply what you do over here to what you do over here. Super important. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1, Paul says this, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, the Corinthian Christians, of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Okay? You don't hear that one preached very often. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment. I have to stop here. We just have to rabbit trail for just a moment here because I just can't help it. That word judgment. You know, in churches today, you hear this all the time over and over again. You don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. Christians aren't supposed to judge. You should never judge. The moment anybody steps up and says something's wrong, a whole bunch of Christian voices chorus, don't judge. Okay. Poppycock. I just didn't want to say that word. <laughs> Balderdash. This idea that Christians aren't supposed to judge is ridiculous. How could you ever determine what is right and what is wrong? How could you ever help someone to see that they're making a mistake in the way they're living? How could you ever warn someone of, of, that they're doing things wrong, that they're headed for a crash? How could you do that if you don't judge? Paul says, I judged. You should have judged already. But now I'm having to do it. 
How do you ever discern between right and wrong if you can't judge? Don't judge. When the Bible talks about not judging, like Matthew chapter 7, it's not saying, Jesus is not saying there, you never ever judge. You couldn't even live that way. How would you, how would you live without making judgment calls of right and wrong and helping people to discern between right and wrong? You, we have to judge. The point is, first of all, that you don't judge with a hypocritical spirit. You don't judge unless you're first judging yourself. Second of all, we judge actions, not motives. We don't get mad at people because of motives. We can't see the heart. We judge actions. This action is wrong. I don't know about your motives, but this action is going to take you somewhere. But, it, but righteous judging, right judging is so important. You can actually see it pops up again in this passage. And that's what Paul is doing here. He says, I'm, I already had to pronounce judgment, but you should have done this already before. I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now that's severe. Okay, I don't even, we're not even going, I don't even know hardly what that is, okay? But can you imagine Pastor Ray comes up here and says, you know, Stefan, we're going to have to deliver this guy over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. How many of you would come to the meeting, okay? And we've got a meeting Wednesday night to do this. I don't know, it'd be like, whoa, that's pretty serious church discipline, right? Okay? So I'm not even sure what that all entails, but you can see here, there was a judgment made that this is wrong. We're going to deal with this. This is not tolerant, is it? This is not tolerant in the least. Paul's upset at them that they hadn't already done this. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, the motivation for the discipline is redemption. We discipline and we tell people they're wrong, and we judge actions and tell people right and wrong and warnings so that they may be saved on the day of the Lord. That's our motivation, right? Verse 6, we keep reading. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, this is really important to stop here and think about this for a moment. Paul's making a point here about not tolerating sin in the church. There is a place where tolerance, there's too much tolerance and Jesus says, I'm mad at you if you are more tolerant than I am. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know what he's saying here? A little bit of sin. Okay, you let the wrong kind of heart creep into a church. Sin, apathy towards sin, indifference towards sin. And again, we're not talking. This is why the first point was so important about the three different kinds of sinners. None of us is perfect. We all mess up. In a repentant sinner, they're going after God. There's God's grace in that situation. But in a non-repentant sinner... A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. You let a person in a church and they're in a key place or they're a volunteer, they're involved, whatever it is, they begin to influence people, they're part of the church body. A little bit of sin like that can actually poison the whole batch. It can actually spread into the church and do damage. That's what Paul's saying. That's not what I'm saying. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying you can't tolerate that. There's actually a place to be extremely intolerant in the church. Extremely intolerant in the church. Verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven. Cleanse out that sin that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And again, I want you to, to notice here, I draw attention to the fact that this is New Testament. I'm talking about the New Testament here. Okay, so hugely important. And again, if you're new here, there's actually not as much difference between the Old Testament and New Testament as you think. But just even granting that, this is the New Testament here Paul's talking and it reminds me of a story I heard some time ago. It doesn't involve anybody that's ever been at this church. So that's why I, I share it, okay? So don't try to figure out who it is. Um, these people never at our church, but a couple, not from our church, but a different church here in the community, 
and both of them had left their spouses. They were living in adultery with each other, and the church that they were at did not make them feel comfortable to continue in that lifestyle going to church. And I say, good for you. They left and found another church, and then they were heard to tell people in their family and their friends, they said, we found this great church. They accept us just the way we are. And that right there is the Thyatira spirit. The church isn't supposed to make people who are Christians feel comfortable in their sin. Paul says, cleanse out the leaven. Holiness actually matters to Jesus. And so when you look at people who are indifferent about their sin or they're hiding their sin and they're in the church, Jesus says, these are things we are not to tolerate. Now, of course, some of you are freaking out right now and you're thinking, we got a church discipline every kind of sin. No, 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 no. Again, none of us is perfect. We're going towards God, repentance and stuff. And there's also a process to this where you meet with people. You don't just, we're not just talking about you know, all, just going crazy on people. There's a process. You're walking with Jesus. You're confronting people. You're working with things. But, but Paul says very clearly, we are not to tolerate this sort of thing. Well, we keep going. Verse 9, and now you're going to begin to see the difference where Paul talks about how we treat people in the church and in the world. Verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexual, sexually immoral of this world. So he says, now, what I was talking to you about people in the church, some of you took it too far, and you're not tolerating that outside of the church, but that's not what I was talking about, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world entirely, right? Verse 11, but now I am writing you to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Paul commands us again to judge. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Okay, so we differentiate between those who are in the church and we differentiate between those in the world. So for example, you know, you're, uh, some of you with your workplaces and stuff, you work in an environment and all the guys at work, they're swearing all the time, sexual immorality on a weekend. And, and so you hear a holiness message, you read some of the passages in Scripture about holiness, and you go, whoa, I should never, and this is what some Christians do, I'm never going to hang around with those guys, it's just sin, all they do is drink and swear and all sorts of stuff, and actually, your response, now sometimes it is true, you, you, there's so much junk going on there, you just can't go and be a part of that, but, but this idea that, whoa, these people, it's just all sexual immorality, and it's all swearing and it's always bad stuff. I can't go near them. And this idea that Christians have to be separate from people in the world like that is wrong. How are they ever going to know Jesus? How are they ever going to know Jesus? So how we approach them, those aren't brothers who should know better. Those are people that need to be reached with Jesus' love. Now that doesn't mean we condone their sin. That doesn't mean we tell them that their sin is okay. There's a place to build relationship and reach out. And at some point, yeah, you want to tell them about Jesus. Yeah, you want to tell them about hell. But you teach them about this love place that this sin is not good for you. We don't stand and judge the world with our fingers going like this. You're all going to hell. You're all wicked and that sort of thing. That's not how we do it. We do it from love, we reach out, we build bridges because it's different what we tolerate out than what we tolerate in. Now, on the other end of that spectrum, you know, you, you, maybe you're in young adult, adults or something, and a bunch of the guys from your cell, they're getting together on Friday nights and they're partying and they're, they're drinking and stuff. That's something not to tolerate, right? If they should know better, they should know better. You're in the church. You're, you call on the name of Jesus. Holiness is a high standard he calls us to. That's a place for, a, for loving confrontation right? How we treat those in the world and treat in the church, totally different when it comes to tolerance and sin. Does that make sense? I hope so, right? 
So now back to Thyatira. The problem with Thyatira is they were tolerating things and compromise in the church that Jesus said, you should not be tolerating. I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now the question is, who was Jezebel, right? Lots of people asking that question. Some of you are wondering, it took you two weeks to finally get to the thing I was actually wondering about in the letter to Thyatira. (laughs) Who was Jezebel? Now, I'm going to make some things very simple for you here because a lot of people over the years, they, with some of these letters and some of the things in the Bible, we just over-spiritualize like crazy. And a lot of Christians have done that with this passage in Jezebel. A lot of Christians have really overwhelmed. And there's, and there's you know, some of the teaching, there's all this stuff about this, the spirit of Jezebel, for example. By the way, I'm not, a, I'm not against all that. Like, I totally believe, certainly I believe that there's such a thing as a spirit of Jezebel. I don't doubt that. I totally believe it. But a lot of people, whole books have been written all based on this one little passage about the spirit of Jezebel and stuff like that. And you know what it is? It's over-spiritualization. This passage is not talking about a spirit of Jezebel. This passage is talking about a woman. Let me just underline the next one there, Ken. I'll tell you, just, sometimes we just have to bring it down to earth a little bit, right? You want to know who Jezebel was? It says right there. She's a woman in the church with a prophetic gift. She calls herself a prophetess, and she was teaching and seducing my servants, the people in the church of Thyatira, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. That's it. That's, she was a woman. She was a leader in the church. Jesus calls her Jezebel. He's just comparing her to the Old Testament Jezebel, symbolically, simply because that's what the Jezebel in the Old Testament did too. She seduced Israel to worship idols and commit sexual immorality. So he calls her Jezebel. But all she was doing in the church was she was teaching. Remember last week we talked about the economic pressure in Thyatira? That the Christians in Thyatira, you couldn't keep a job or you couldn't get a job unless you joined one of the trade guilds. And the trade guilds had these pagan feasts to idols and there was sexual immorality. This woman, so what was happening in Thyatira is there was a woman, okay? It's not talking here about a spirit. It's talking about a woman. There was a woman in leadership, influential in the church. She had a prophetic gifting and she was teaching people that, hey, if you need, God's grace is bigger than that. If you need to keep your job, you've got to pay your bills. A little bit of compromise, as long as you believe in Jesus, God's grace is big enough, it covers that. And she was teaching them that it was okay to compromise a bit in order to pay the bills. That's fine. God loves you. He forgives you. And Jesus says, no, I did not give you grace so you could compromise when things get tough. I gave you grace so you could overcome it. Amen? And so he's, he's very, very upset with her. You don't, we don't teach, and this, so many Christians do that. The moment there's pressure of some kind, they find ways to use grace to allow Christians to keep their jobs and do all that sort of stuff. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. you need to rely on me. Do right. And so now we move on and we see what Jesus thinks about this teaching on compromise. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent. Now, isn't Jesus good? Even this woman who he calls Jezebel, he gives her time to repent. It's amazing. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Verse 22, Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. A lot of Christians today, their picture of Jesus... Their picture of Jesus couldn't say something like this. There are a lot of Christians today, their picture of Jesus, he just loves and accepts everybody all the time. They have this permissive, weak Jesus. Does Jesus love us? Amen. He touched me with his love again repeatedly this week when I met with him. 
But his love is a glorious, powerful, holy love. Not a weak and permissive, tolerant love. It's a powerful love. Way better. Way more wholesome. Way more powerful than the love that is being preached in many churches today. If your Jesus, the Jesus you picture in your mind, can't say that, your picture is wrong. You say, oh, you're so proud. You know a picture of Jesus. No, this is Jesus talking. This is Jesus talking. If your picture of Jesus can't say what Jesus actually said, your picture of Jesus is wrong. Jesus says, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. You say, but Jesus doesn't do that in the New Testament. This is the New Testament. And it's actually not the only place in the New Testament Jesus kills people or threatens to kill people. You say, whoa, you're messing me up. You need to actually fall in love with Jesus. When you actually find out who he is and how holy he is and how much he loves you, but it's with that zealous, holy love, you're going to fall way more in love with him than the wimpy Jesus that's being preached today. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, that's New Testament too. That's the Christian church. Jesus killed two early Jewish Christians in Jerusalem for lying. Here in Thyatira, he says, those who are following Jezebel's teaching of compromise, I'm going to strike them dead. It's just like 1 Corinthians 11. Let me show you the uh, communion passage, which we don't like to talk about too much. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthian Christians. The Corinthian Christians had, because of grace and false teaching about grace, they had become comfortable with sin. They had this picture of Jesus, that it's okay to sin and walk with Jesus. And then they would come into church every week. Hey, we believe about Jesus. They would take communion as if everything was okay. Here's what Paul says to them. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 30. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the, bloody, or the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now look what Paul says here. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Paul says a whole bunch of you Corinthian Christians, this is the New Testament, these are Christians in a church. A whole bunch of you are taking sin lightly in your life and then you come to church as if there's no problem, you take communion. And he said, that's actually why some of you have gotten cancer and disease and sick and some have died. Jesus actually put them to death. You say, oh, yeah, that's actually the Jesus that we worship. He loves the repentant. You don't have to be perfect. Oh, he loves you. You're like a kid trying to walk as long as you're pursuing him and going after it. But if you just want to live comfortable in sin and you're not pursuing him and you're not growing in holiness, this is the Jesus we serve. Now, of course, I'm not saying here that everybody who's sick is sick because of sin. Not even close. Of course not. We don't teach that at Southland. I'm also not teaching that every time someone is, you know, apathetic, whatever, he gives, he's so patient. He gives so much time. He's not just striking people dead all, the, all over the place. But if he did that in Thyatira, if he did that in Corinth, if he did that in Jerusalem, do we think we're so much beyond that in Steinbeck in Canada? Are we that special? No. We worship him in the fear of God, bringing holiness com- to completion in the fear of God. And look at why Jesus does it. Let's go back to, to Thyatira. This is why Jesus does it. And all the churches will know. Jesus wants to be exalted in the church. He does not want to be worshipped as this nice guy 
So many churches today, so many Christians have turned Jesus into a nice guy, a really neat man. He is fully human, but he's God. He says, I want all the churches to know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. If you are repentant and pursuing him, it's grace. He rewards you for every attempt, and he loves you. But if you are indifferent, if you're apathetic, if you don't follow him, if you're keeping it hidden and not dealing with it, he says, I will repay according to your works. And remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. This is the Jesus we serve. But now we finish with encouragement. Verse 24, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching of compromise and false grace, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. Some of you need to hear that word, that line here today. I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. Some of you are here today, and all of life has just seemed to come crashing down on you over the last months, maybe a couple of years might be health, might be family, whatever it is, and you are being crushed. You're in this place where all you can do is survive every day. Some of you know what I'm talking about. All you can do is survive, and you feel a little guilty because you feel like you're not doing anything for Jesus, but all you're doing is just hanging on, trying to get through the storm. And today, Jesus says to you, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. Not wimpy Christianity. I prayed a prayer once. I kept it private the rest of my life and I kept the belief in my head. The one who conquers, who stands for holiness, who pursues holiness, stands for right and keeps the works of Jesus until the end of their life, even through tough times. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him, I will give authority over the nations. This is our motivation this is our motivation to suffer and turn the other cheek. Do you ever get tired? Some of you, I know I do sometimes. Do you ever get tired in our culture and in our world? It seems like as Christians, we're, our part is always shrinking. It seems like things are always happening against. It seems like evil is growing, and, and it is, and we see bad things. And sometimes you just go, oh, it almost gets tiring. Well, Jesus encourages us here. He says, look to the end. You're on the weak side. Only during this short little life, you're almost at the end of the race. And then I give you authority over the nations. For all of eternity, we are on the side of the strong. We're on the winning side. That's why Jesus is not mad at us in this letter. What he's doing is he sees eternity. He sees the kingdom. He sees us ruling with him. He sees this short little life. And he sees that we get tired. And he's encouraging us in this letter. Don't trip right before the end. Don't give up right before the end. Why would you give up? You've been fighting with that sin for five years. And you think, I'm just going to give up on that sin. And Jesus rebukes us. He says, it's this, this life is this long. I know sometimes your life, it just feels like the problems go forever. Sometimes I talk to people and they look at marriage stuff. They look at sexual sin in their life. And it looks like that dark cloud goes forever. And it looks like it's infinite. And Jesus says, it isn't infinite. Your life is this short. You're almost at the end of the race. And then for all of eternity, you reign with me in holiness and purity. Don't give up. Don't give up right before the end on holiness. Don't give up on praying with people and confessing and warring against the things that are making war in your soul. 
Don't give up in your marriage. Don't give up. He says, hang on because I will give you authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. Lots of people ask me about the morning star. He's just talking that this whole thing is about ruling with Jesus. He's just talking here about a kingdom. It's just the star here is just, it's a symbol for the kingdom empire. We're gonna rule with him. He's gonna give us the kingdom. And I will give him the kingdom, the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can you hear what the Spirit is saying to you today? Don't give up. Don't give up. Holiness matters. Love matters. You find both of those things in Jesus. Don't give up. I want to leave you now. We're going to have the baptisms. I want to leave you with the weekly challenges I always do. And my challenge to you this week is that you would read through. Next week, uh, Pastor Ray is going to have a vision message. It would be awesome. So m- some amazing things God's calling our church to and things that he's doing. It would be incredible. After that, we'll pick up again on this series. But I would challenge you this week to read through the letter to Thyatira and ask Jesus these four questions. You know, a lot of people say to me, I don't know how to hear God. When you take the scriptures and you ask Jesus questions for your life out of the scriptures, he is going to speak to you. So take the letter to Thyatira to Jesus this week and communicate with him about your own life. If he wanted to talk to Thyatira about these things, you can bet he wants to talk to you about them as well. And ask Jesus these four things. What do you want to encourage me about with regards to my works and heart? Because there are some things he's doing in your life. He wants to encourage you. What do you want to warn me about with regards to my works and my heart? Then ask him to give you two steps. Give me a step of obedience to take to grow in holiness. You know, Jesus is so good. Sometimes we get overwhelmed by holiness. It's like I'm so far from it. We all are. But in your love for Jesus, you want to you take a step closer to Jesus, say, give me one step, Jesus. Don't overwhelm me. Give me one step. What's the step I can take this week, this month, that I can begin to grow in holiness as you would have me? He'll show you something. Give me a step of obedience to take to grow in love. Give me a step of obedience to take to grow in holiness. Write down what he shows you and watch your relationship with him begin to take off. Let's pray, and then we'll celebrate the baptisms. Heavenly Father, Jesus, you are holy, you are awesome, you are good. Thank you for your love. It is a glorious love. It is a love that is pure and holy. Righteousness, Jesus. Oh, how we long to live lives filled with righteousness. What a gift holiness is. Lord, I pray that here at Southland, Jesus, as a church body, we would become a church that you would just wash over us with holiness, that there would be repentance, God, that you would bring us to a place of purity sexually and in every area of our lives and the way we talk, Jesus, that this would be a church of purity where you can be happy to be here and your spirit is powerfully present. And then, Lord, out of that as well, Lord, I pray that you would give us a deep heart of love to reach out to our neighbors, to do sacrificial acts of kindness and love, that we would be known all over this community and this province as being a church that loves people and takes care of people. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen.